Friends, I've been waiting for this for a little while. It's so good to be together. I'm so happy to see all of you, whether you're joining us online or here, actual humans in the room to worship God together. I can't overstate how excited I was and am, and I just had a little extra pep in my step this morning, so we're going to try and not make this thing go about 80 minutes here. Uh, <laughs> my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here. Uh, my first apartment was in suburban St. Louis, and it was a three-bed, three-bathroom that I shared with uh, a couple other friends. A lot of jack-in-the-box tacos consumed in that apartment. Uh, it was simpler times. And I remember one day, my roommate and I were hanging out after work, and we heard some footsteps coming up to our third floor apartment, but we never heard anybody knock or anything. We thought, well, that's odd. And there was no sign of our visitor when we looked outside. The only thing there was was a notice on the door uh, that said our rent was late, and that if we didn't pay by five, uh, this was the fifth of the month, and it was about 4.45, and if we didn't pay by five, we would uh, be assessed the penalty as we agreed upon in our lease agreement. So I thought, well, that's odd because I'd paid the rent uh, the first of the month. Now, this will tell you how long ago this was. The process for that was I would collect these things called physical checks from my roommates and I went to a physical bank and got a physical money order for our rent and then put that in a physical rent drop box at our apartment. Luckily, I still had the receipt from my money order. And so my roommate and I went down to the, to the leasing office at the apartment and, and said, hey, we got this notice on our door. And, and, and I showed him the receipt from my rent. And I, I kind of let him know, like, hey, we didn't really appreciate kind of the way we were <laughs> notified about this, right? Somewhat anonymously. Or it never feels good to have a, have a notice on your door. So the, uh, the apartment employee kind of did some clickety-clacking on their computer and, and after a couple seconds, they looked at me and, and they said, well, we'll let it slide. I was like, let what slide? There's no sliding. I had paid my rent on time, right? Let it slide. I don't know. That, I was 22 and I guess I had a point to prove. That annoyed me. And, and that was like the seventh or eighth run-in we had with our apartment. Now, they deal with some pretty impossible people there. So I'm sure they were conditioned to not be the most friendly folks, but we'll let it slide. Wasn't like we didn't do anything wrong. And uh, when our lease agreement was up, we did not renew it. This was, this was an example of a contractual relationship, right? We were bound to a lease agreement, my roommates and I, and the apartment complex uh, had entered into that agreement as well. And then we parted and went our separate ways when it was over. Uh, we signed contracts for our phone, for our internet service. Some of us may be contracted employees. A contract relationship tends to have a well-defined term. Right? It's for a set amount of time, maybe a two-year agreement for your phone. Uh, if you're Patrick Mahomes, a 10-year contract extension, amen? <laughs> yes? Uh, a contract is very different than a covenant, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. As we study the scripture together, what I hope we'll take away is that God says, I will, even when we walk away. My guess is a lot of us have participated or attended a wedding and whenever I do a wedding, I always use covenantal language. A covenant is a mutual agreement between two parties in which each party assumes certain obligations or responsibilities, uh, and it implies a relationship and promise and expectation. Uh, the biblical sense of covenant comes from the Hebrew word berit, uh, which means to cut a promise. And we get that covenants are a big deal. This is why we celebrate two people making the covenant of marriage. 
Like when's the last time you threw a party to commemorate the anniversary of your Verizon contract, right? Like we understand that's not that big a deal. Now, in case you're interested in celebrating this, this day like I am, Patrick Mahomes signed his 10-year extension on July 6, 2020. So this July 6th, you can join me in having a little party. But other than that, we don't celebrate contracts. We celebrate covenants. A contract is different than a covenant. And I made a little fancy chart for you here. There you go. <laughs> like the, the Microsoft Word table function. Uh, so a contract is conditional. But a covenant involves ongoing relationship. Right? That's why in the marriage covenant we explicitly state that this covenant is binding in a variety of conditions, sickness and health, richer or poorer, all of those types of things. Contracts are expendable. There's a 24-hour news cycle or or professional sports, it's like a never-ending news drama over athletes and their contract disputes. When our lease was up, we got out of there as soon as we could. Again, these are all examples of contracts. And they're expendable. T-Mobile, the cell phone company, actually will run specials that will buy you out of your old contract. Hey, we'll buy you out of yours. Come over to our side. That's how expendable contracts can be. Covenants are dependable because there's an implicit relationship involved. One of my favorite podcast hosts, Jalen Rose, says this. We never get what we deserve in life, only what we have the leverage to negotiate. There's some hard wisdom in that. Covenants aren't about leverage. Covenants are about mutual deference to one another. Too often, we can take a contract mindset into a relationship, right? As long as this person is giving me the right payoff, see, we use economic language. As long as I get the right payoff for the time and energy and maybe even money that I'm putting into this relationship, then I'll stick around. Right? If, I'm, if I'm getting the right payoff for all the time and energy I'm spending, I'll stick around. But if that stops being the case, I'll take my business elsewhere. So I hope you brought your big girl and big boy pants to church today because we're going to be looking at the subject of covenant. We're going to be getting into the deeper waters here in our long story short series. So each week we're going to look at a major theme of the Bible as we go through the whole thing in about three months. Last week we talked about uh, the story of Abram in, in Genesis, and, and, and we're moving ahead just a teeny bit to Exodus, but we're looking at the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Got some stats for you. The Bible is a collection of 66 books written across three continents by over 40 authors. It was written in three different languages over 1,400 years, and yet it tells one continuous story of the people of God. The story of God is the story of God's pursuit to be in right relationship with with those that God created. That's that's a great way to sum up the Bible in in just one sentence. So each week we're going to explore a theme in the Bible, and then we're going to invite you to be going a little deeper beyond just worship, and you can join one of our long story short groups. You can find these online uh, by signing up. I do a Facebook live stream on Tuesday nights at 7. So we'd love for you to go even further in your study of Scripture as, as we as a church take this journey together. So last week, we looked at the start of God's rescue plan uh, with Abram, and that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abram. Abram's descendants have settled in Egypt. They've left the land of Canaan uh, after a famine there. And so this is generations after Abram. The tribes of Israel are Abram's descendants, and they're named after Abram's grandson, Israel. Their descendants are growing in numbers, 
One of these Israelites is Moses, who was born a Hebrew but raised as an Egyptian. Pastor Mitch talked, this, uh, talked about this in his uh, great sermon from Ash Wednesday. If you want to check that out online, we focused a little bit on Moses. And we're going to kind of have part two of that because God is going to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt and lead them back to the land that God had promised Abram. So this is from Exodus 6, 6 through 8. Therefore, this is God speaking, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, excuse me, from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord." But the Israelites were, were so oppressed by the Egyptian slavery, they just, they just couldn't receive this invitation from God. This is verse 9. Moses reported this, what God had said to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. So in between Exodus 6 and Exodus 19, Moses leads the people out of Egypt. There are multiple plagues that God brings upon the Egyptians to punish them for refusing to release the Israelites. Uh, they escape by a miraculous parting of the sea. And, and there's, as you can see, I'm, I'm glancing over a whole lot here. So the question that the Israelites have at this point in the story is, well, what happens next? Have you ever been under such a stressful situation that it becomes normal? You just become accustomed to it and you almost struggle to remember what life was like before that? That's kind of, yeah, speaking into our context, right? That's kind of, similar to where the Israelites find themselves. At one point after their liberation, the Israelites actually want to go back to Egypt because at least it was consistent. They knew where their food was going to come from. I mean, that's, that's how warped their experience has been. So three months after the escape from Egypt, Moses now seeks to form the Israelites as a true people, a nation. But what will unite them as a nation is not being under the same flag, but under the same covenant with God. This is from Exodus 19. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Author and professor Sandra Richter describes the nature of covenant with some historical perspective that is so helpful. Uh, Sandra Richter taught at Asbury Theological Seminary, and that's where I went to school. And one of the reasons I wanted to go there was to learn from her. Well, she, she moved schools right as I was coming on. Dang! Uh, but she wrote a book called The Epic of Eden. And if, if you're a reader, if you're interested in, in knowing more about, especially the Old Testament, I cannot recommend this book highly enough, The Epic of Eden by Sandra Richter. She says that our, our knowledge of Christians is kind of like, a, uh, excuse me, our knowledge of the Old Testament as Christians is like a disorganized closet. And you know, there's Noah and um, uh, there's Samson or uh, there's some tablets. Uh, I, I Charlton Heston is in there somewhere. Uh, you know, and, and she helps us straighten it all out. And it's actually through the different covenants that we see in the Old Testament. So look for a series on this at some point. Um, I can't recommend this book highly enough. And part of what Richter helps us understand is that the covenant God makes with the Israelites 
actually mirrors or has similar patterns to other near, ancient Near East treaties. So when you had this mighty nation that was going to make a, con, uh, a covenant or a treaty with a lesser nation, some of the same patterns emerge like that we see in historical documents from archaeology. And so it's amazing to understand a little bit more of the context because it can be pretty bizarre when we read it in, t- in the 21st century. So there were generally two kinds of treaties that ancient nations would make. There were parity treaties between two equal powers, or there were what's, and these are ancient words, a suzerain-vassal treaty. And a suzerain is just the word for the greater nation, and vassal is the word for the lesser nation. God is clearly the greater party in this treaty or covenant he's making with Israel. And so God states what God has done. See how I delivered you from Egypt uh, as an example of the protection God wants to offer as a part of this covenant. That's the same pattern that you would see when nations would make treaties with one another. God promises his protection and to make Israel his most treasured possession. So they make a covenant together. And again, a covenant is this concept of cutting a barret or cutting a promise. This is what Richter says. Cut a barret. This language reflects the fact that all covenants were sealed by oath and sacrifice. The cutting has to do with ritual presentation of the sacrificed animal. Again, this was thousands of years ago. A barret, a promise, always involved oaths that resulted in obligations placed on both parties. Moreover, the oaths were always ratified by the sacrifice of mutually recognized, ritually appropriate animals. Sometimes this message was actually acted out in the ratification ceremony such that the vassal or the lesser party was required to walk between the bloodied parts of the slain animals while he recited his oaths. In other words, by means of his actions, the vassal, the lesser party, is stating, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if I fail to keep my oath. This is intense. A powerful visual aid indeed. After the treaty was concluded, the sacrificed animals were typically roasted as the main course of celebratory fellowship meal shared by the new covenant partners. Now we understand, oh, they had a barbecue. We get that, right? But this, this is some intense imagery. And without some of this knowledge, you read passages like this one from Jeremiah and you're like, what is going on? Because we see this pattern of making covenants later in the Old Testament. Uh, This is further along in the story, but I wanted to point this out to you because it helps shed light on, again, what would be an otherwise very bizarre passage from the Bible. This is from Jeremiah 3. Those who have violated my covenant, God says to the people, and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land walked between the pieces of the calf. In other words, agreeing to a covenant with God is is a big deal. It's not something to be done lightly. So I know we've kind of taken a dip into academia here, but all these pieces help us make sense of what's going on with the, the, the major act that God is doing by making a covenant. And what I want you to take away from this is that God chose to work with people in the manner to which they would have received it. Right, if this is how the, 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 the big nations do it, then you understand that pattern. So I, as God, will work with you in a way that you can understand. That's what I take away from all this history. So Moses goes back, now to, back to Exodus chapter 19. Moses goes back and asks, or does what God asked him to do. 
And he says to the Israelites, Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So then God delivers a series of laws and stipulations to the people. This is where the Ten Commandments are found in the next chapters. And a lot of folks have heard of those. Some may be new, but there's lots more laws that are given in this scene beyond just the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 24, the covenant is confirmed. The people agree to it with the sacrifice of animals and the blood of the covenant that were a part of the sacrificial ritual. So more on that later. So the rest of the Old Testament can generally be summed up by this cycle that the Israelites perpetuate. They're obedient until they're not, right? There's, there's restoration, they're good with God, and then they, they have sin and idolatry, and then they suffer the consequences from that sin. It, we all know what this feels like. You, you get to the end of yourself, you get to the end of your rope, and you realize something has to change. They go back to God and repent. Then they're restored to God. God saves them from this, this trouble they've gotten themselves into, usually in the form of capture by their enemies or surrender to their enemies, and they're led off into exile multiple times. And it's kind of this pattern we see in the Old Testament. God raised up prophets in the midst of all that to call people back to repentance. This is a kind of a summation of a lot of the Old Testament. But God continues to reaffirm his covenant even as the Israelites don't hold up their end. So we've covered a lot of ground here, which is some combination of bizarre and intense. And so you may find yourself asking, what does what some people happened to do in the desert thousands of years ago have anything to do with me? Why should I care? Well, I'm glad you asked. The covenant that Israel made with God is one in a line of a series of covenants. And in this series, long story short, the shortest way to encapsulate the Bible is through the series of covenants that were made between God and people. The first one with Adam and Eve, where God promises paradise. And after their sin and separation, represented by the Harry Potter-looking lightning bolt here, God promised Noah preservation of the earth, and, and he gave Noah dominion over the earth. Then God promised Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. God promised the Israelites that they would be his treasured possession and that they would inherit the land promised to Abraham and that they would be the nation by which God would bless all people. So do you see the pattern? This is from Richter, by the way. This is from her book, Epic of Eden. Do you see the pattern that each promise, the circle or the scope, grows wider and wider from one man to one family to one nation and then finally we see the new covenant through Christ, which is offered to all people. Even as people were disobedient throughout biblical history, God says, I will, even when we walk away. In the New Testament, we have Christ who would come to us as God's ultimate promise. The second verse in Matthew tells us that Jesus descended from Abraham. So we can trace this lineage all the way back in God's history Jesus is the fulfillment to the promise God made Abraham that all peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. This time, God would not only offer salvation, would offer protection, but would also pay the sacrificial penalty for obedience. That terrifying image of the calf being split in two and this is what's gonna happen to you if you don't hold up your end. 
The good news is that God not only makes us the promise, but also pays the price on our behalf. Jesus said in Luke twenty two twenty, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So God offers to save us, not just from Egypt or Babylon or Rome, these, these occupying forces in ancient history that, that oppressed God's people, God offers to save us not just from Egypt and Babylon and Rome, but from death. This is from Hebrews 9. This is a New, a new Testament book. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So let's recall what God said to Abram. I will make you into a great nation and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Recall what God said to Moses. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will being the operative words in those promises. God continues to say I will even when we walk away. So what are some of the better promises that Jesus offers with this new covenant. I love this from John 12. Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And these are precious words I say at every funeral I'll ever do from John 14. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus' better promise is that it's not what you have done for God that makes you acceptable to God, but on what God has done for us. That's what makes us acceptable. That's the good news. That's the fulfillment that began with Abram and all the people of Israel and found fulfillment in Jesus. All the requirements for righteousness with God have been fulfilled through Christ. We worship a God who, only in, who not only initiates the covenant, who, who lays out the terms, but also makes the sacrifice when we disobey and break the covenant. Jesus succeeded in every place where we failed. He has made faith in him the only requirement to accept God's covenant. God says, I will, even when we walk away. Friends, our world is, is a contract world where you do this and then you get this. We're conditioned this way for when we're little. You want good grades, you gotta earn them. You wanna get into a good college, you gotta earn a good score. You wanna get a scholarship, you gotta do well on your team. You wanna make the team, you gotta do well at the tryout. You wanna get a job, you gotta do well in the interview. Are you seeing the path? So much of life is based on our performance or our earning. And the good news is that our faith in Christ is one of the only things that is not dependent on our earning ability, on our effort but it's dependent on the sacrifice that God has already made on our behalf through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so friends, to me, the question is, what will you do, not as a requirement to receive God's love, because it's already been offered to you. You don't have to do anything to earn it. That's the good news. What will you do now, not as a requirement to receive God's love, but in response to the promise that is already offered to you? It's so good to be with you. And everybody said, amen. amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much.
for the opportunity to hear from your word. These, these ancient words uh, that I sometimes struggle to wrap my mind around. But the whole time, God, we see the pattern of you pursuing the people you desperately love, stooping down to our levels of, of treaty and, and negotiation and, and our politics so that we could come closer to a mysterious and almighty God. God, help us to be people that don't live contractually, that don't treat other people the way you want us to as long as they're doing what we want or fulfilling their end. Help us to take the selfless, sacrificial love that you have given us and offer that same love to other folks, especially when they don't deserve it, especially when they break the social contract. God, it's so good to be in your presence and worship. Thank you for this community. We need you to continue to be with us as we, as we struggle along in this pandemic, as we have power grid issues around our nation, recovering from a terrible storm. God, as the crises continue to compound, help our faith to compound in you. It's in your son's name that we pray all these things.